Well, it is Reformation Sunday, which uh, is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, we get to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We get to break out the red. Uh, we only get to wear red a couple times a year. So it's uh, fun to celebrate Reformation Day. Reformation Sunday is always the last Sunday of October. Uh, it's the day that we remember that day now more than 500 years ago when an obscure monk by the name of Martin Luther took 95 points of debate and nailed them on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, he didn't really know what he was doing at the time, but now scholars look back down through history and say, really, that was the beginning of what was to become the Protestant Reformation. Luther wasn't a reformer at the time. He was just putting some things out for discussion. But ultimately, the Protestant Reformation would be known for its emphasis on, the, on God's grace being freely given to you and me. One of my favorite authors, an uh, Episcopal priest and a very imaginative, creative author by the name of Robert Capon, he describes the Reformation this way. It was a time when men went blind, staggering drunk, because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old 200-proof grace. Bottle after bottle of pure distillate of Scripture, one sip of which would convince anyone that God saves us single-handedly. We love to talk about grace at Redeemer and other Reformed and Presbyterian churches. We know that it's at the heart of our own relationship with God, but the same potency of grace that we savor also makes us nervous. What happens when God is gracious to the wrong person? What happens when He's gracious to someone that we just don't think is quite sorry enough for their sin? What happens when God is gracious to someone that doesn't seem to have the same level of obedience to God that I do? What happens when God is gracious to someone who doesn't share all of my beliefs? Who doesn't hold to all the same worldviews that I hold to? What happens when God is gracious to someone who doesn't look like me? Someone who doesn't act like me? Maybe God needs a little be a little bit more careful about his grace. You know, too much grace, that can lead to dancing. <laughs> what happens when the wrong people find grace? If you've ever grumbled about the grace of God being extended to someone you don't think deserves it, Luke chapter 19 is a fantastic passage for you to consider on this Reformation Sunday. Luke 19 is toward the end of this gospel. By this point, Jesus is on his way for the final time to Jerusalem. He is on his way to die. In a week, he will be crucified. 
As he is on his way up into the city of Jerusalem, he stops at really the last large city before he begins the upward climb into Jerusalem. Just do a quick uh, uh, commercial for our Israel trip here. Uh, you want to know what that looks like? Y'all come with us next year. Jericho is about 18 miles away from Jerusalem, and there was a long, steep, dangerous road that would take a traveler from Jericho up into the city. In Luke chapter 18, we read about Jesus actually entering into the city and, and performing a miracle as he enters into the city. And you can almost imagine the buzz in the city of Jerusalem as everyone sees this blind man that they have passed a thousand different times on the city streets, now wandering around the city, looking at himself in the reflection of the windows, seeing people whose voices he would have recognized looking at the colors of flowers and trees. I wonder if it was that buzz that eventually pulled Zacchaeus out of his office, that led him to go see who this Jesus is. Jesus is on his way to die, but first he stops in Jericho. In fact, he had to stop because in that city was a lost sheep of Israel who needed to be found. In that city was a son of Abraham who had to be restored to God. And his name was Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus, if you've grown up in the church, Zacchaeus, or if you've ever taught children Sunday school, uh, Zacchaeus is a very familiar figure, right? How many of you know the Zacchaeus song? Yes, yes. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. We all learned that song. Many of us learned that song in Sunday school. But what we didn't learn in Sunday school was that Zacchaeus, in addition to being a wee little man, Zacchaeus was a hated man. Verse 2 tells us that he was rich. Often in Scripture, people think that being rich is a sign of blessing from God. And so you would almost understand if the crowd is envious of Zacchaeus. But they're not envious, they hate Zacchaeus. Because we read in verse 2 that his wealth came from his fellow Jews. He was the chief tax collector. He wasn't rich because he had sown the right kind of seed and raised the right kind of harvest and sold it at the peak of the market. He wasn't rich because he had created some business and he was shrewd with his money. He was rich because he took money from his fellow countrymen to give it to the Roman occupying force. He was a collaborator. He worked with the hated Romans to exert their power and their control over his own people. Some of the money that Zacchaeus would have collected would have gone to support the very Roman soldiers who marched through the streets of, the, of Israel, compelling Jews to carry the Roman burdens to do things that they did not want to do. And this is why the crowd grumbles when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Verse 7, 
He has become or he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Our very own Andrew Waller, many of you know, is pursuing a PhD studying the Gospel of Luke, and he and I had an occasion recently to talk about this passage. And one of the things that he shared with me that I did not know is that this is unusual in the Gospel of Luke for the crowd to have turned against Jesus. And we know in some of the other Gospels, we we read of the crowd turning against Jesus fairly early, John 6. The crowd grumbles when Jesus tells them that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood if they're going to have life, if they're going to be his disciples. But in Luke, the crowd is generally favorable toward Jesus up until the very end. I went back through the Gospel of Luke and and looked at different parts of where the crowd is mentioned. And here's some things that they do to Jesus. They bless Him for His miracles. They seek Him out for His wisdom. They rejoice at all the glorious things that are done by Him. They praise God because of the things that He had done. It's not the crowd that normally grumbles against Jesus. It's the Pharisees that normally grumble against Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn back just a couple of chapters to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near him. Sound familiar? And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The complaint of the Pharisees has now become the complaint of the crowds that used to support Jesus because the wrong guy got grace. Jesus, you've gone too far this time. You know, earlier on his way into town, he had been interrupted. On his way through Jericho, Jesus had been accosted by blind Bartimaeus, who at the end of chapter 18 is screaming for Jesus' attention. Son of man, or son of God, have, have mercy on me. Son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you can almost imagine and, and excuse Jesus for turning and, and paying attention to him and raising him up and giving him sight. But it was Jesus who sought Zacchaeus out. It was Jesus who invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Verse 5, I must stay at your house today. What else must Jesus do in the Gospel of Luke? Chapter 2, verse 49. He must be about his father's business. Chapter 4, verse 43. He must preach the kingdom of God. Chapter 9, verse 22. He must suffer. The work of Jesus for Zacchaeus, it isn't a mistake. 
It isn't a convenience just because Jesus is passing through town. The work of Jesus for Zacchaeus is at the heart of Jesus' mission. It's at the heart of Jesus' calling. It's at the heart of Jesus' identity. Jesus is fulfilling an Old Testament promise that God made to Israel. At some point later today, or maybe later this week, if you have a chance, go and read Ezekiel chapter 34. Because this language here in Luke chapter 19 of the Son of Man seeking and saving the lost is evocative of a promise that God makes in Ezekiel 34. In that chapter, God is complaining about the false shepherds of Israel. He says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back the lost you have not sought. And in response, God says, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Friends, that's what Jesus is doing with Zacchaeus. In chapter uh, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The very thing that the crowd sees as making Zacchaeus undeserving of Jesus' attention, Zacchaeus' lostness, his sinfulness, his exclusion from the house of Israel, that's the very reason Jesus has come. I don't know about you, but I love a a good before and after story. I love a a rags-to-riches fairy tale. I love watching Chip and Joanna Gaines turn something into a spectacular little place. I love a story of repentance and faith. We are drawn to the ways that life can be dramatically altered. And I think we see that here in Luke chapter 19. In verse 8, Zacchaeus resolves to give away half of his wealth. And he subjects himself to the harshest penalty of the Mosaic law. A fourfold repayment for fraud. It's a great example of how a heart change inevitably results in a life change. But friends, don't forget that Jesus desired Zacchaeus before he made these commitments. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to fulfill a a checklist of preconditions. 
Jesus wanted to be with Zacchaeus before he promises to pay back anyone he's exploited. Before he promises that he will live justly. Christ called out to Zacchaeus while he was still up in the tree. And friends, he calls out to you too. Our eyes, yours and mine, they're perennially drawn to the after. We want to see the results. But God's grace is focused on the before. Before our good ideas ever take root. Before our convictions change. Before our resolutions are made. Before we turn over a new leaf. Before we measure up to our own expectations. Before we are worthy. We are often convinced that we have to do something so that God will take notice of us. Friends, Zacchaeus' story reminds us that God sees us in our current state. And he calls us by name. And he says, I want you. Martin Luther, the German monk who helped start the Reformation, he says, the love of God doesn't find that which is pleasing. It creates that which is pleasing. One of the ironies of this story is that Zacchaeus' name, it means pure. Can you imagine how infuriating that would be for the people around him? Pure. You're a thief. You're a traitor. What a disgrace you are. And you're pure? And yet Zacchaeus is pure because God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I might be the righteousness of God. Zacchaeus is pure. And that means that you and I are pure too. Friends, Christ did not come to redeem the redeemable. Christ did not come to teach the teachable, to improve the improvable, to reform the reformable. He came to raise the dead. He came to seek the lost. He came to bring back the strayed. He came to bind up the injured. He came to strengthen the weak. I think the story of Zacchaeus Although it might seem odd at first glance as our text for Reformation Sunday, I think the story of Zacchaeus is a great illustration for why the Reformation still matters today. The Reformation rejected Catholicism's confusion of justification and sanctification. The Reformation rejects our natural tendency towards works righteousness to somehow make ourselves pleasing to God. The Reformation rejects the false promises of our age like wealth and power. It was grace alone that sought Zacchaeus before he ever changed. It was through faith alone 
that the pure one, who in and of himself would never be pure, was actually justified. And that's what allowed him to sit and eat with Christ alone, his guest and his God. Let me ask you this morning, do you identify with the crowd today? Or do you identify with Zacchaeus? Are you grumbling about the grace that someone else in your life is getting that you don't think they deserve? Friends, don't forget that even you were an enemy of God when Christ died for you. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus, someone who despairs of ever getting close enough to Jesus for him to take notice of you. Maybe let's even go a little bit farther. Maybe you are like Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham who has squandered his inheritance to pursue something else. Friends, he has known your name from before the beginning of time. And he is calling you today. Get down. It's time for dinner. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have rescued us when we didn't even really know what was going on. You have pursued us. And you have retrieved the sheep from your flock those of us who have just fallen away by our own devices, those of us who have chosen to run, and even those of us who have been left beaten and bloodied by the road. Father, give us eyes to see our shepherd coming to our rescue. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.